This is the Pain Information Network Q&A. As promised, more questions came in, so I'm going to answer them. And they're, they're pretty good questions. I appreciate your questions. Go to paininformation.com and leave me the questions. And I read every one of them, and I'm going to get to them. There's also uh, a real appreciation if you could go and rate me at uh, iTunes. That would really help. Help me rank. And subscribe. I appreciate it. Subscriptions going up and up, and that's the direction we want them to continue to go so we stay visible. People can find us, and hopefully we can get some information across to people. This is an informational station, podcast network that gives hope hope and value. I, I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that would love to find it. So mention it to your friends, mention to your neighbors, your doctor, etc. And I'm going to answer these questions on all levels. So if you're a, a provider of pain care or medical care, <laughs> a veterinarian, I don't care. Just send me, uh, send me the question and I'll do the best I can or find somebody that can answer it. I have a pretty wide uh, lasso I can throw out there and there's some great providers that I can curbside that's what we call it curbsiding and get their opinion because uh, pain is tough everybody gets it and you can't you can't see touch feel or measure pain I mean truly you can't the only true measurement we have is function and when we see patients or friends or even colleagues decrease in function we know that the pain is becoming the disease it's becoming the lifestyle it's becoming something we just don't want it to be all right so let me get to the first question slash comment uh a listener sent me a kind of a curious question about smoking is it it's almost a comment veiled in a question and was a little put back by the fact that his uh, pain physician and his primary care physician are are, are kind of building up a, a coalition and almost implied like they were bullying him to quit smoking. And I don't know really what the spin on that was, but I'm going to talk for just a minute about smoking. Uh, smoking is tough, and for you all out there probably, you know that I have some addiction credentials. So I'm going to speak first from the addiction side, and then I'm going to speak from the uh, relevance of a, uh, a real-life application of improved lifestyle and how it can improve your function and just enjoyment of life. So what smoking does is it takes all of everything away from you and eventually will take your life so if you think all of everything is your life i agree with you there's nothing more important in life than time we don't have anything more important no one's making more of it uh even that little watch on your wrist reminds you that it's slipping away that's not moribund that's real and that's how i want you to look at things every minute is precious every second is a gift and if we can make those seconds move to hours move to days weeks etc we're winning and that's the purpose of practicing uh, good pain care good medicine and being a generalist looking at the uh, entire person and not just a problem so prevention my podcast uh, yesterday was a little bit more on prevention and so i'm taking this on those heels so what else do you have besides time well you have people around you and you have those relationships 
we talk about pain and chronic disease states, we lose socialization. If I can't emphasize anything enough, it's getting out and getting going. There's a number of stories that I've been privileged enough to hear from patients and family members and where somebody might have passed away a close spouse of 50 years or a friend, neighbor. There is this withdrawn effect of perpetual situational depression and anxiety that can develop if there isn't a good core of uh, folks and souls that are looking out for you. So with time, socialization, and understanding that uh, it's it's okay to have emotion and feeling. We want you to have emotion and feeling, but we also want you to heal. We can't always cure you, but we can help you heal. So that's going to be one thing we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Another question that uh, brought me up on the heels of this is uh, individual self-worth and how they just felt like they weren't themselves or weren't the contributor to their family and their life that they once were because of their pain, because of their loss. And we're going to talk about that. So smoking, it's going to take your time. It's going to eventually isolate you because you will develop disease states. What it means in pain is this. First of all, it's going to interfere with the basic physiologic processes that help you heal. It's going to help. It's going to hinder blood flow in many different levels. At the level of the disc, it interferes with uh, any restorative function, uh, most restorative functions in bones. It, it leads to the common things we all know about, lung disease. Uh, you can't even walk up a flight of stairs anymore. How can I ask you to go to physical therapy? Taste, it's quality of life. Smell, quality of life. Endurance, ability to interact with grandchildren, that sort of thing. Well, you know, a lot of these things get better when you quit. And so to talk about addiction, it's one of the most addictive chemicals, nicotine is, that's known. There's really only about 100 different chemicals or items that have addiction associated with them. Only 100 out of... Everything we see in life, and that's not many, but I'm going to have to say I've had more success getting folks off of controlled substances, even some folks off heroin than I have off of nicotine. I have seen people uh, report for a test to make sure they don't have lung cancer, and in their anxiety outside of that test, uh, they're standing outside at the smoker station. Or they've had a bronchoscopy, and within 12 hours, they've had three or four cigarettes. So that's a grip. It's not a moral failing. It's a grip. So when it comes to pain, you have to look at what you got. You take your disease, rule two. Okay? You take your diagnosis. Fibromyalgia, it makes it worse. Sleep, you talk to me about sleeping when you're a smoker, I... I have little to offer you. I'm not going to give you a pill. I want a sleep study. When the sleep study comes back and it says it was interrupted all night, I have to wonder, okay, is this mini mini withdrawal or is this because of uh, problems with oxygen delivery to tissues or even oxygen transfer from the lungs? 
you have to start with thinking like that. And as we get a little older, the bones take the toll, the uh, ability to uh, just bounce back. And even today, you know, two-pack-per-day smoker, and she's wondering why she's not getting better. And she's getting kind of irritated and mad at me because, well, <laughs> I'm trying my best. But it's a two-way street. We have to make it a two-way street. Help me help you. Now, I'm not expecting miracles, but if you can do the patch, if you can do the gum, do it. And make the investment. Don't ask for a prescription. Go get it. Make the investment yourself. It's right there about the same cost of cigarettes, and then you put value on it. All right, you want Shantex or Vernicoline, which is the generic name? Yeah, that's a good drug. It's the people... They say, oh, my God, I've heard all these horror stories about Shantix. That's the trade name. Well, I can tell you a lot more horror stories about smoking. All right? It's worth a talk. How about Wellbutrin? Uh, talk that over with your, your family doctor or your pain doctor. Talk it over. Start a dialogue. Remember we talked about addiction as different stages, pre-contemplation, all the way to action, then, of course, there's relapse down the road. That's okay. You know, relapse is just one of the things we expect in addiction. And in tobacco, use and abuse is an addiction. You can't help it. It's got a grip on you. It's neurobiological. And once again, it's not a moral failing. So as far as cigarettes go, there's a few things I can tell you I cannot get you better if you keep smoking. And that's a failed back or back disease. It's only going to get worse. There's a clear association between degenerative spinal disease at all levels and smoking. So a modifiable feature in your health profile is quitting or way cutting down on smoking. Okay, what about fibromyalgia? I can't get you better. Uh, sometimes I have trouble even making the diagnosis of fibromyalgia because there are so many comorbid diseases. They also have spine problems. They're sedentary, obese. But folks come to me, and, and we've got a whole plate of challenges in front of us. Now, we can knock them off one by one. I'm not saying we can't do that. But what I'm saying is it's got to be a cooperative effort. Let's work on this. And smoking is huge. All right, what's the next thing? Um, well, how about CRPS? I've never gotten anybody better that has chronic regional pain syndrome that smokes. Maybe I did and I don't know it, but I don't know it. So um, I think you're starting to see here. Um, we have so many challenges in smokers. Oh, my gosh, my headaches, it's getting, they're getting worse. They're terrible. Yeah, headaches. Well, I don't know where to start. If somebody comes to me and they say, I can't sleep, I have headaches, um, and they got a 20-pack year, 30, 40-pack year history of smoking, that's how many years they've smoked, how many packs. And you got to wonder, well, what's going on? Is it microvascular disease? <clears throat> Is it biochemical? Is it neurobiological? I don't even know where to start. There are hundreds of different types of headache descriptors. If you're non-focal, in other words, you don't have any neurological deficit, or I don't hear a brewery or carotid brewery, that's a whoosh in the neck where I've got to worry about uh, potential for stroke and, and a few other things. And the physical findings aren't there. Uh, I don't hear atrial fibrillation. I, 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 I can't see something. I can't feel something. Uh, I can't diagnose by just uh, uh, common approaches. I have to say, well, what's out there? What can we change? And that's, that's 
the bottom line. What can we change? Let's take, let's take smoking as a challenge. I don't expect anybody to quit smoking quickly. Take your time. Talk it over with whoever you have to talk it over, but talk it over with the professional. All right, does hypnosis work? Never seen it work. Uh, it might uh, in some people. Does acupuncture, acupuncture work? I have some training in acupuncture. I went to uh, Yale, and part of my specialized year in chronic pain management was with a really fantastic doctor uh, from, the, from the Eastern world, uh, Ifan Tsai was her name and she was really good at acupuncture she was so gifted at it but i don't see many people that are gifted at acupuncture and so i really wonder sometimes what people are doing and uh, we'll definitely take your money so i'm not sure if it works if you have a very skilled acupuncturist and you're you're devoted to quitting smoking it's a partner use that partnership and see if you can't get somewhere I know I'm definitely not good at good enough at it. All right, what about uh, vapes and things like that? I don't know. I don't know what long-term effects of these chemicals are doing. Are we exchanging one drug for another? Maybe. And are there going to be uh, down t- downsides to this? Time's going to tell us. So I'm not crazy about them. But nicotine replacement and some of the other drugs I previously mentioned are pretty helpful. I think I've beaten smoking up enough for now. This is this is just to answer a couple of uh, questions I've gotten. No, you're not getting bullied. I don't think any physician or healthcare provider wants to bully a patient to get a better result. We want to be motivational. We want to look at risk factors. We want to do screening and brief intervention when we can. Say, look, we've got to change these things or look at changing these things. We don't want you to get heart disease. We don't want you to be miserable with problems down the road where you're functionally so impaired that you can't say you're looking forward to getting up the next morning. No, we're not bullying you. We're being matter of fact. Now, if you don't like the approach that the provider is giving you sometimes tough love we don't mind hearing you just say can you ease up a little i'm really trying okay well great let's make this a partnership let's try to do this together help me help you okay all right next question since i had about epidurals i mean let's face it i i get in such a hurry sometimes i don't um impart some of the finer details in my uh my discussions with patients about what to expect. How long will an epidural last? I don't know. No one does. How many do I have to have? I don't know. How many can you have in a year? Well, it's kind of defined somewhat by guidelines, but also by medical necessity. It's defined by uh, Medicare. Uh, They have these uh, things that they put on the Internet they want us to read called local coverage determinants that give you guidance on what they expect and will pay for and won't pay for. So I can tell you this. It's pretty much going to go by regions, cervical, thoracic, and lumbar. It's going to be roughly between three, probably on the high end, six uh, interventions a year. Six is a little high. And I do it every once in a while because people, uh, one I did last week was this gal that works on a farm. Well, every two months she 
comes in for her intervention because she will not take pills. She will not take any medication. She works machinery. The epidurals help her, and they keep her going. They keep her livelihood going. Fine, I'll do that. But there's others. I do one or two epidurals. They don't need another one. Don't just go in for three epidurals. Don't buy that. Um, If you're better after one, done. Just wait until you need the other one. This is not a medically necessary uh, approach like an antibiotic to get two or three epidurals. That's just not necessary. If you don't need it, don't do it. These are uh, medically um, non-life-threatening uh, thre- or are otherwise called elective procedures, and only do an elective procedure if you need it. If you're a little sick or you have a urinary tract infection or if you just don't feel right, you, you forgot you took your blood thinner, that's not aspirin uh, necessarily. Talk that over with your pain care provider. But you, you may have forgotten that you took a Plavix two days ago. Forget it. Wait. There's no reason to run and do an elective procedure unless it's going to be maximized and optimized. All right, so what do you use? Well, uh, we use steroid. Most all of us use steroid, but there's some evidence you don't need steroid. There's some evidence that you don't need local anesthetic. I don't all the time use local anesthetic. Uh, I think as an outpatient, it's a little bit safer, and I just don't think it adds much unless it's a really acute problem. Now, different is a transferamyl approach. Transferamyl is where we put a dense application of drug on the nerve root by coming in from the side, the foramen. We will do a caudal, and sometimes I will use local anesthetic there with steroid and preservative-free saline because we use more volume, and that's approached right at the tailbone. And then there's the interlaminar block. That's the one between the spaces where, if, say, an uh, orthopedic or neuro- neurosurgeon doctor says uh, the herniated disc is at L3, can you put it there? That's fine. That's not a bad approach. So I'll under x-ray, put it right there, and I might just use steroid there. Um, it's a lo- there's a lot of variation in different uh, providers, and I recommend that you talk it over with them. So what we put back there uh, is a, a number of different types of steroids uh, based on their characteristics and uh, based on some of the new safety data and the like. And we are very careful with our approach. It should always be under x-ray guidance. If they're sitting you up and rolling you over in the recovery room or something like that, don't do it. They don't know where they're going. And I can tell you from doing this for many, many, many years that if I hadn't had fluoro on probably, I don't know, 2 to 5% of my injections, I wouldn't be there, but I thought I was there. I once did a, a little mini-study on the sacroiliac joint where I, I best palpated and best estimated where the needle was going into the sacral joint. And uh, then I looked under fluoro. I wasn't there uh, a bunch of times. <laughs> so even in some very qualified hands, uh, we don't always have it right, but the fluoro can show us we don't have it right. It's just it's just safer in general. So fluoroscopy is necessary. Ultrasound, well, it depends on the structure. I'm not sure that I'm going to endorse ultrasound for the facet SI, uh, some of the deeper structures in the lumbar spine. It's 
it's going to emerge, and we'll get some more data, and I'll revisit that with you. But right now, I'm not going to endorse it. When you have fluoro, you're staring right at it. It's not much radiation. Just uh, take a look. And I used less than one second of radiation, and I can tell you it's not much. It shouldn't be much, and we have ways to minimize the radiation exposure when we use it. All right, to summarize, we use various kinds of steroid that have various degrees of efficacy or effectiveness that have various properties, particulate and non-particulate, and we do the epidural differently by region, transforaminal, interlaminar, caudal, and the lumbar, thoracic, interlaminar. I don't do transforaminal anymore in the thoracic. It's just too close to the lung. It doesn't really add that much either. And in the cervical region, we pretty much stopped doing transforaminal cervical epidurals. I'll do it every once in a while, and it's got to be clear that the risk-reward benefits in the patient's favor. We've seen some strokes and some devastation with that block. Now, that's not to say the interlaminar cervical can't be safe. It can. And so don't don't give up on the cervical epidural because you might have heard some scary things. Remember, you don't it's not as much weight bearing in the cervical region. You just got that little that head sitting on it as opposed to a whole body sitting on the lumbar region. So it tends to work a little better. And same, I would say, with the facet block up there. And that's somewhat anecdotal. So um, we use different steroids and definitely don't use particulate if we're doing transforaminal, if we can avoid it. And uh, we go to a certain region. Scott Glazer, who you've heard here, goes to Kimball's Triangle and... Uh, Others go to what's called the safe triangle. There is no safe triangle. We do these blocks under direct fluoroscopic observation, and depending on the type of block, we use contrast to see exactly where we're at. Depending on the, what kind of block, uh, we'll then follow with local anesthetic steroid saline and talk that over with your provider. It tends to be there's tends to be quite a bit of variability. So, um, all right. Well, let's move on to. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about, and a very kind of kind of a touching story about a, a feeling of self worth in an individual who apparently has been listening, but is almost sounding like a shut in. So, hands out to you, please socialize. I cannot emphasize enough that you have value. Every human has value, and when I say the most valuable thing you have. It's not your house. It's not your car. It's not the wristwatch you have or the other bling. It's time. So do not waste any time if you need help. If you feel any type of situational depression and anxiety is getting worse or even just remotely thinking about harm to self or others, please get help. And you say, well, I'm not crazy. No, no one thinks you're crazy. You're a human being. Being human means that you have emotional and very real reaction to life's events. No one goes through life unscathed. No one. And some have a little stronger coping skills than others. But when you have a chronic disease state, it will erode your ability to be resilient. So please talk it over. Uh, talk about available therapies or treatments 
And I briefly touched on it in ketamine. Ketamine can really help sometimes. Uh, antidepressants or other aids there. Getting out and socializing, so important. Understanding that the light at the end of the tunnel is not a truck, okay? And also understanding you can be helped. Just because we we start assuming care after the surgeon said there's nothing else I can do, that doesn't mean there's nothing else that can be done. Of course there is. It's just it's an approach. So when you get into chronic pain therapy, you're going to be helped. It's just finding the right combination. I saw a nurse today that uh, was involved in a head-on. Uh, she's a wonderful person. And it was work-related, but it was a head-on collision. Uh, she was a home health nurse. Her life in so many ways changed that instant. Crushed pelvis, many other fr- uh, fractures and chronic back problems, leg pain and that sort of thing. Even some nerve damage. Well... Let me tell you, it took a little bit of time, but we got her on the right medication. And we've done a few procedures. She's smiling. She got a puppy. (laughs) And she's socializing. Uh, She's even going uh, with a little bit of push back into the dating scene. And that's awesome. And that's what we want to see. And that is what we're going to do. Improve function. But it, it can take a little bit of time. That doesn't mean it's not working. Often, patients will say, I'm no better, I'm worse. Nothing is working. Well, are you going to the grocery store? Yeah. Well, look, six months ago, you weren't going to the grocery store. How about that YMCA? You're going two or three times a week and getting in the pool now. Yeah? You weren't doing that. You were watching TV six months ago. Benchmarks, three, six, nine, 12 months. All right. You can be helped. Hang in there. All right, I'm going to wrap it up there, and thanks for listening. Remember, cigarettes are not your friend. Depending on any type of problem, you can be helped. And when you're going to get an epidural or any type of interventional procedure, have your provider slow down a second and explain what to expect. I don't know how long they last. They they last some people uh, three months, and they only get one. Some people, they don't work too well. We have to change directions. It has to do with the medication. It has to do with expectations. It has to do with the disease state, comorbid disease. There's many factors. That's why each of us is a snowflake. Talk it over with your professional. Floral, floral, floral. All right. I will see you soon.